edition of the College Basketball Bonanza. Hoping you had a very Merry Christmas yesterday. I'm Nicholas Hodel. Nick Keneally is out for this week's edition of the Bonanza, the final edition of the show for 2022. It's been quite the year for us here at the College Basketball Bonanza, and it's been quite the season as pre-Christmas. Just when you thought there wouldn't be any chaos College basketball gave us a whole nother thing. We're going to start off today with the Illinois Fighting Illini. They're in trouble, folks. They're in big-time trouble. And that was on display at a major loss in St. Louis on Thursday. This was a 93-71 loss against Missouri. And Missouri themselves have been an interesting team. They've won a lot of games. Missouri 11-1. They've clearly shown that they are a decent team. The problem was, until the last few shows, I really could not put Missouri well and truly on the radar because they just hadn't played anybody. And for Missouri, now they get this big win over Illinois. We'll save Missouri for a little bit later on, but for Illinois, I'm very worried. I'm very worried for Illinois. You know, there's a lot of interesting things going on. Uh, just strictly looking at the schedule, one and four now over the course of the last five games against Kempom top 50 teams and the last two of those have been by at least 15 points Penn State and Missouri very fortunate against Texas I think we're starting to see now that game was a lot more about Texas really choking in New York City than it ever was about Illinois as the fighting line I have just not found anything since the Fighting Illini on this Monday have dropped to 31st in the Kempom rankings, nearing their season low, nearing the point they were at at the start of the year at 33rd. And they've worked their way to be in the top 25 for really the last month consecutive weeks, and that has now just gone completely out the window. And this is an interesting point now for Illinois. I would say that this game coming up this coming Thursday for them against Bethan Cookman is a huge game for the Illini to get things right. The problem with that thinking, though, is that that's already kind of been proved wrong. How? Last Saturday, the 17th, uh, against Alabama A&M. They had that game a week after a disastrous showing at home against Penn State. They won easily by 21 points, and then they turn around, the Missouri lost by 22. So, Bethman Cookman kind of acts like a team that Illinois needs to kind of get things right against, and they will only have two more opportunities uh, to have those kinds of games. At Minnesota, January 16, home against Minnesota on February 7. What I am not saying is Illinois is a bad team. I'm not saying that. The talent is there with Terrence Shannon, Coleman Hawkins, Matthew Meyer, the pieces are there. The problem right now for Illinois is that they're clearly being exposed. And dysfunction, chemistry, very much is a part of that. The biggest thing for me to find the Illini, they need to find a way to come together. And I don't know if Coach Brett Underwood is helping that whatsoever. Uh, but he needs to find a way to get his guys together. He just has to. Because Illinois right now, they're kind of on a sinking ship for me. Uh, out of the camp, uh, out of the AP top 25, out of my top 25, there's a lot of work that needs to be done right now with, with the Illinois Fighting Illini. 
Uh, I'd say I get to Missouri, and my thoughts on Missouri are this. Up until the last few weeks, I really could not say anything but Missouri as far as being an upper echelon team just because they haven't played anyone major up until the 10th when they lost big time to Kansas. And now it's kind of the, okay, that's it. They're not really that team. They're not. And then they get the win against UCF. Huge win for them. And then they beat up on Illinois. A big win for them that put Illinois into my top 36 going into this next week. And so Missouri now, they also have big opportunities. Wednesday at home against Kentucky. And then the next Wednesday at Arkansas. Those are two big opportunities for the nation to really see what Missouri really is. Are they the team that beat up on Illinois with um, with all of Illinois' issues? Or are they the team that got beat up at home against Kansas by nearly 30 points? Right now, we're seeing two extremes. It may be more like the team that barely beat UCF on a buzzer beater. That they can play really well against some good teams, but they're not quite there yet. That might be where Missouri is right now. We really don't know. These last three games have shown us three different Missouri teams, in my opinion. The team that can get completely blown out at home against an elite team. The team that could compete very well against a team right near them in analytical profiles. Um, UCF, very close to the efficiency margins at that point. Or the team that can beat up on anybody at any time like in a team like Illinois. We need to find out who Missouri truly is to truly get a read of whether or not Missouri can enter the top 25. And I will say this, a home win against Kentucky will put Missouri, I should say, in my top 25. That will happen. And if they can play really good against Kentucky, not quite the other line, but show really good showing, and they go to Arkansas and somehow beat them on the road, yes, they're in the top 25 that week, barring a home um, game against Vanderbilt that Saturday they need to win. A lot is at stake for Missouri. The national perspective. How good are you truly, and where are this team's aspirations? I believe all of that is on the line. They need to get some quality wins, more quality wins, and SEC play. If Missouri can do that, they can do just about anything they want to do. In Dennis Gates' first year with the Tigers. They got a great offense. They need really need to improve their defense. That's probably the one thing that's holding Missouri back, is that defense. Good offense. Inside shooting at 61%. That is fantastic at the college level. You need to find a way to get some better defense and improve those numbers. Missouri, I think, will be going places. Let's move on to the Big East and the Creighton Blue Jays now. A couple of games to them this week, including on Christmas Day, the only non-Diamond Head Classic Christmas Day game in the country was Creighton against DePaul. It was a clear and convincing 15-point win. Clear and convincing as in it just never got competitive after Creighton got this thing up by double digits. It's almost a flat win probability line. DePaul just could not do what was required to get themselves truly back into this game. It was never the 20-25 point dominance. It was never that, but it was always clear and convincing. And that was added on to a 22 point home win on Thursday against Butler. And the biggest thing here for Illinois is that, for I should say Creighton, I'm still in Illinois for some reason. For Creighton, Ryan Kalkbrenner 
is back. The star center for the Blue Jays back in action and he put up an MVP performance on Thursday with 19 points, 4 rebounds, and a couple of assists to go along with a pair of blocks. And then against DePaul, he put up he put he put up four points, so thirteen percent of the team's points, I should say. Four rebounds, three assists, a block. That was not the best performance of the day by far. It was Trey Alexander, his thirty-two points and six assists, of uh, six rebounds, I should say. Phenomenal effort, right? Nemhard seven assists. Phenomenal effort from Trey Alexander. But it really does seem like this Creighton team is clicking much better. With Ryan Kalkbrenner back in the lineup. One of my first impressions after seeing the backup, freshman Fedra King, play against Arizona State in Las Vegas. After seeing him play in person, I was like, okay, this is interesting. The center is still to be doing a really good job. After King had learned some lessons against BYU a couple nights prior. Interesting that Creighton can't find a way to win these games. With Cockbrenner back, not only is Creighton winning games, they're blowing out the teams they quite frankly should be blowing out. And so that leads me to say this. Ryan Cockbrenner, based on what Creighton has done with and without him, is the team's MVP. It is not Baylor Shireman. It is not Trey Alexander. It is not Ryan Nebhardt. Not even Arthur Kaluma, it is Ryan Kalkbrenner. And yes, Kalkbrenner will have some off nights, like against DePaul. He wasn't even used that much, okay? So it's not like he was having an off night out of his own mistakes. It was rather he was not getting used a ton. Who was getting used a ton? Alexander. 7-12 from 3 for him. Really good stuff. Bayer Shireman was 3-6 of six from deep. Ryan Nebhardt was 3 of 4 up deep. Even Francisco Ferrabello, the senior, really the, the sixth man right next to Frederick King, was 2 of 3 from deep. There's a lot of great pieces here. But Creighton with Ryan Kalkbrenner, it just seems to be a different team in the way they run and stuff. I, I like it. I really do. And I really want to see what Creighton does going forward. And they have a, they have a, they have a long break. It's over a week before we see them next. But home against Satan Hall at UConn, Saturday the 7th. I think that's a monster game for Creighton. The middle of the Big East is not that impressive. Satan Hall and Kim Palm, 65th. Providence, 63rd. St. John's, 57th. Philadelphia, 53rd. It's not like... There's a bunch of teams in the Kempom Top 30 here because it's not the Big East we're talking about. The Big East we're talking about is the UConn National League team. That really should be number one. They're number two in the AP, my number one. And then Marquette and Xavier along with Creighton in that Top 30. And then everyone is jockeying for a position. This isn't the best Big East that we've ever seen. But Creighton has still has a great chance to stand out. Creighton should be standing out in the Big East still. And with Ryan Kalkbrenner back, they have a lot more opportunity because it feels like they're running better. A lot of the stuff they're doing, they seem to be doing it better. Perhaps the one thing I would like to see Creighton do more of going forward is get some more offensive rebounds. 
Eight against Butler. Four against DePaul. Just four against DePaul. DePaul had 13 offensive rebounds against Creighton. I really want to see Cockbrenner get some more rebounds. That's probably my only thing I could say right now. Because only having three offensive rebounds these last two games, I think, is not acceptable. We go a little bit further back this year. He had five offensive rebounds against St. Thomas, four against North Dakota. He's had three offensive rebounds a few other times, uh, and then also five against Nebraska. I really think Kyle Brenner should be trying to get some more offensive rebounds, trying to enforce himself as the big man at 7'1", 260 pounds. That's probably the biggest thing for me. If they can get Cockbrenner rebounding offensively and getting creating a lot of second chances with guys like Shireman and Nebhardt and Trey Alexander, it could be watch out. Creighton could absolutely still put themselves as the clear-cut second. Absolutely. They are not a team like UConn. They are supposed to be in that spot. They're not. But Creighton still has a chance to be incredible. Absolutely incredible. I want to move on. Uh, it's Arizona State, of course, the home school of this show. Uh, as the winter break continues to have Blaze Radio's programming off the air until the spring semester. And Arizona State on Wednesday was awful. It was a 37-point loss on the road at San Francisco. It was the kind of loss that reminded a lot of people of the Arizona State-St. Mary's game back in 2019 in downtown Phoenix, my freshman year at Arizona State. And, <laughs> oh man, it, brought, it really did bring a lot of that, oh my gosh, this is awful. <laughs> Type vibes, a lot of it. And my freshman year, this was a little bit back before I was a consistent basketball reporter for organizations like Inferno Intel. And way before this program got on the air, on Blaze Radio, still operating fully as a podcast at that time. And I was sitting I'm just like, I, I got nothing. I, I got nothing. That was the day where Alonzo Verge also scored 43 at 56. And there was no standout score this time around uh, for Arizona State. A few of them had double digits. TJ Horn at 12, Jemiah Neal 11, Duke Brennan 12. Uh, but it really was players like Khalil Shabazz that was absolutely killing Arizona State. Shabazz at 26 points. 5 of 11 from 3. And everyone was making 3s. Everyone was. It wasn't just him. It was also Tyler Roberts. He had 2 of 4 from deep. Isaiah Hawthorne had 2 of 5. Marcus Williams made both of his. Sane Meeks made 3 of 4. You're talking about a team, San Francisco, that shot 51%. 51%. And I'm going to tell you something. At 16-2, I was texting my fellow in front of my town reporter, Ray Belcour, who was at that game at San Francisco. I'm just telling him, man, it's going to be a long day if this game's happening. And he was telling me, yeah, yeah, it's a little early. And then they continued the run, San Francisco. They continued the run. This was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad performance from Arizona State. There is no other way to describe it. Everything Arizona State typically does, the defensive prowess, the resiliency, none of it showed. None of it showed. And that was despite Arizona State have 20 offensive rebounds. 
there is nothing else you could say about how bad of a game this was for Heroes of the State. And this hurts the Sun Devils. You know, they had spent over a month recovering their resume from a road loss at Texas Southern. They had spent the better part of a month getting the wins. The neutral wins immediately after that game against VCU and Michigan. The road comeback against Colorado. The home win against Stanford. Going to SMU and recovering from a bad start there. Beating Creighton in Las Vegas. They spent all this time recovering the resume. Getting up to number 25 in the country. Getting in my top 25. And then they destroy themselves. It could take another month of winning. For Arizona State to get back in the rankings. And I'm not, I don't know if I'm... I don't know if I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating, to be quite honest. I honestly have no idea if I am exaggerating. It could. That's the kind of laws on a national stage, closing in on Christmas, you have to avoid. And the Christmas break is going to be a really good thing. For Arizona State, this break is a really good thing. You can now unwind, forget about that game, spend some time with your family, Come back and gear up for your arch rival Arizona and a nationally broadcast New Year's Eve game. You can do that. What Arizona State does over the next two and a half weeks or so, I think is going to determine just how much of a turning point that game against San Francisco was. This is the kind of game that you could either become more motivated by it, realize that you had a really solid nine-game win streak, but that loss brings you back to work. You can say, okay, we're 11-2, and two, but by golly, we have so much work to do, it's not even funny anymore. Or, you can let this loss just get back in the back of your heads. The doubts of that night, when you get down against teams like Arizona, Oregon, you can let that seed of doubt remain back there, and it can ruin your season. It can. I do not think this Arizona State team is going to let that happen, though. This team still feels different. The chemistry of the team still feels insanely different. And I do think this team is going to bounce back. I, I do. But you have to wonder if this is the kind of game that can derail Arizona State going forward. I think it can. But I don't think this team is going to let it happen. That's the biggest thing I'm going to say with Arizona State. It hurts. It brought you down a ton in the net. Which by default means you still have a lot of work to do at 11-2. and two. We'll see where it goes from here. Arizona State, 55th in Kempom. It's an interesting spot to be at 11-2 and two at this point in the year. A lot of Arizona State fans would have taken that as a huge success. Myself, I certainly do. But you have to improve. The shooting has got to improve. Your defense needs to stay elite. It's got to find a way to get back to where you were. Keep racking up wins. Even a close loss at home against Arizona. I know no one's going to like me saying this. Even a close loss at home against Arizona. As long as you're able to take the positive things, you're able to win both your games at home against the Washington schools. You're able to win both your games on the road in the Oregon schools. That is very important. And get back to the UCLA-UCLA home stretch mid-January, 15-3, and three, you're still in a great position 
but you have to find a way to continue racking up wins and avoiding bad losses in the Pac-12, because there's certainly a number of those. Oregon State, Cal, I mean, you look at a team like Washington, they may not be up to par. Oregon's great analytically, but they're a team that just can't find a way to get wins when they need to. Certainly an interesting point for Arizona State. They're at a pivotal point, 11-2. Got to find a way to rack up some wins. Forget about the game at San Francisco. Let's move on over to Virginia Tech. And they are also at 11-2 and a very similar point to Arizona State. With their losses not being great. Uh, remember the Charleston Classic Final at Charleston? The two-point loss there in a game that put Charleston on the map. Virginia Tech rattled off six straight, and the start to seven was fantastic for them. Home against North Carolina. Home against a Dayton team that, while they're still good analytically, it's not going to end up being the best win. And then a neutral site win against an Oklahoma State team that will likely end up being good enough for Virginia Tech to carry that as a quad one. Definitely quad two, in my opinion. What do they do Wednesday? But there's an overtime to Boston College. And that's about the third worst logic can take in the conference. It's an ugly one for the ACC. It is ugly. And the ACC has had so many problems this year. Uh, and they, they, they couldn't afford this. They just couldn't. I still believe in Virginia Tech. Despite the Hokies dropping out of the AP... I still have them in my top 25. And I say that because... Virginia Tech's resume is still a solid resume. You look at the games they won against North Carolina at home. The game against Penn State on a neutral floor. The win against Oklahoma State on a neutral floor. Virginia Tech can absolutely still win some good games. They absolutely can. And there are still some people voting them into their AP bouts. They need to be careful, though, Virginia Tech. Very similar to Arizona State. I mean, there just are not a lot of incredible quality wins out there. There's about four teams you could say that for. I mean, North Carolina, they already got that game out of the way. Duke, twice. Miami, twice. Virginia, twice. That's about it. That's about it. If you can get the win against NC State, great. may not do you much, but it's going to be good for you. Clemson, that, that's a good one to get uh, at home. May not do you much good on the resume, but you need it. Clemson at road, different story. I mean, there's still some games that Virginia Tech should win that are going to do them a lot of good. But they're at that crossing point now to where you take a bad loss, you go into the Christmas holiday, spend some time with your family, recover, and then come back. Their New Year's Eve game is at Wake Forest. And I really still believe in Virginia Tech. I do. I think they should go into their January 18th game at Virginia, the in-state rivalry. They should go into that game 15-2. and They really, really should. And be back in the top 25. If they do that, I think. I really do. I mean, Virginia Tech, they're still 27th in net. They're still a really quality team. They got three quad one wins. The Oklahoma State, North Carolina, Penn State games. Though you have to really watch Penn State and Oklahoma State. Those could turn quad two very easily. They could. But Virginia Tech still has a resume. That was the reason why I put them in my top 25. 
Virginia Tech, they still have that resume. And I still think the Hokies are a quality team because of it. And speaking of the state of Virginia, Virginia's loss to Miami on Tuesday really was part of the day of reckoning for favorites that Tuesday really was. Virginia fell to Miami 66-64. Great win for Miami. I can't say enough about how good that win for Miami is. They are a really good team, this Miami squad, with players like Isaiah Wong, the transfers that they got of Nigel Pack and No Chad O'Meara have been very good for this Miami team. And Isaiah Wong has been playing fantastic. At least 20 points in his last four games. They are all games which he has been credited by Ken Palm as being the MVP. Really, really solid stuff for him. He has been terrific. And you're looking at this Miami team, now 12-1. Their next relatively difficult game is on January 14 at NC State. Relatively difficult. I could easily see Miami going into that game being a top 10 team nationally at 16-1. I could easily see that. And there may be nothing that stops Miami out of themselves until January 21 at Duke should they win that game at NC State. Certainly very good for Miami. As for Virginia, I tried my hardest to defend putting Virginia in my top 10, keeping them there. I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. I think Virginia is still a terrific team. But you look at the resumes now, Virginia has that second loss. And that really tends to hurt with comparing the teams like Texas and Alabama, Tennessee, Arkansas. That tends to hurt quite a bit. It really does. They got about four games to recover, uh, get a good winning streak going for them. Wednesday home against Albany should be absolutely no problem. At Georgia Tech might be intriguing on New Year's Eve. At Pitt to start 2023 on the 3rd. And then at home against Syracuse on January 7. Those should all four be wins. I think Virginia should be in a very good spot still. Let's go to Marquette and Providence. This was a double overtime thrower. Providence came out on top. I see no reason to panic about Marquette just yet. A team that was still in the back end of my top 36 going into the week. They remained there. I did not want to drop them too much. They did not deserve to drop out of my top 36. It was still a good effort, though, over time. Can't do much about it. And so, Marquette has a good shot to be that third or fourth biggest team that really is a lock on Selection Sunday to be an at-large caliber team. That's really where they are right now. Still in a very, very good position. Um, four games they should be winning. Uh, uh, St. Hall at home in the 27th. Uh, New Year's Eve at Philadelphia might be a tough game. That's going to be a really fun one to watch on New Year's Eve, of course. Should I not be busy with other coverage duties for places like Cronkite News? And you will, of course, you'll probably see more of that on my personal channel at Hodel Sports. At St. John's on the 3rd. At Georgetown on the 7th. And then you get that home game against UConn on January 11th. Marquette, I still think, is in a great spot. 27th at Kim Palm. Really good offensive numbers. An elite team nationally in two-point shooting. 
They're still a very, very good team in my mind. As for Providence, this was a massive win for the Friars. They go to 10-3, they're on a five-game win streak. And that became their quality win, and they needed it. The last two games, at Seton Hall, at home against Marquette, they needed to get some quality wins in the resume to really try to kickstart it. And Providence did that. And what Ed Cooley's done these last couple of years has been tremendous. Absolutely tremendous. Providence probably will not defend their Big East regular season championship. I don't think they have it in them. But you have to respect them, Ford. You have to respect what he's done. He's got a home game against UConn for these Friars on the 4th. We'll talk a lot more about that next week. But certainly a big opportunity for Providence to try to really kick up the resume. Duke, falling to Wake Forest on Tuesday, 81-70, snapping a four-game losing streak. Now, the second four-game losing streak that has been snapped, uh, part of it was Purdue in Portland. That snapped the first four-game winning streak. And then this was unacceptable. This is the game that Wake Forest really commanded in the second half. Absolutely commanded. And if you're Duke, you can't let that happen. You can't go on the road. You cannot let that happen. You just can't. And this is a terrific team effort from Wake Forest as well. Every starter had 10 more points, led by the senior Tyree Appleby with 18 points, but a terrific job from the free throw line, 13 of 14. He did his job tremendously. Uh, so now if you're Duke, if you are Duke, from this game, first off, you can take some solace in a fantastic performance off the bench from sophomore Jalen Bra uh, Blakes. A season-high 17 points, a career-high 17 points. He had not only gave up 10 or more points until that night. Just a tremendous job from him off the bench. He was the one who shined. Hardly anyone else. Hardly anyone else. So if you're Duke... You are still up there as a favorite for the ACC. We're not taking that away. We're not. But you really got to consider here, you can't take bad losses in the ACC. In an ACC that is not publicly perceived as an elite conference this season. For God's sakes, the ACC is six in the Kempom Conference ranks. And it's not close to the Pac-12. That's right. The ACC is not close to the Pac-12 in the Kempom Conference ranks. That should be categorized as a disaster. And Duke needs to get the easy wins. Got, got to represent the conference well as a favorite. Compared to teams like Virginia and North Carolina. Just got to find a way to do it. And now Miami jumping away into that conversation as well. Mississippi State, the loss to Drake. You have to now analyze this team, in my opinion, as a one-loss team who has two good wins, and that's it. They just haven't played a lot of good teams in the non-conference. The MTE for them in Fort Myers was their only shot, and their offense could not put up more than 60 points against either team. Now that we have this game against Drake, their first decent opponent since the Fort Myers tip-off, 
my conclusion now is this is still a good defense. This is still a great defense. But against quality teams, they are not that good. Their defense saved them in Fort Myers. And it had to save them against Drake. And their offense was even was not even that good against Drake. And that's where we are now, in my opinion, with Mississippi State. I dropped them out of my top 25 from 15 because of that. Because of that. This is a very pivotal point now from before Mississippi State, in my opinion. Because now, Wednesday, you have Alabama at home. January 3rd, you have Tennessee on the road. Two really difficult games. For the Bulldogs. What team are you? We need to find that out. And if we come away with the Bulldogs losing at home to Alabama and on the road to Tennessee by significant margins, that will get us or higher. That's it for the Bulldogs. I really do think that's it. That's the point to where we cannot consider the Bulldogs to be that good of a team. Their defense is great. Their defense will give up teams problems. I believe the Bulldogs will get quality wins this season in the SEC because of their defense. But when your offense is that poor, uh-uh, sorry. This is an offense that, in a 65 position game, could not get 70 points against Jackson State. In a 71 possession game, estimated by Kempong, they could not get 70 points against Nichols. They've only gotten 70-plus points on four different occasions. The opponents, Akron, South Dakota, Omaha, Mississippi Valley State. Those are the only times Mississippi State has gotten 70-plus points. And credit to Mississippi State's defense. Clearly, the Bulldogs won games because of their defense. But we're considering that offense combined with a great defense to be considered a top 25 team? Still? No! I'm sorry. Uh uh. I will not do that. I'm sorry. I just had to analyze who I thought it was, and I thought the Bulldogs, with the loss on the resume, was not a top 25 team. I'm sorry. I could not do it. I could not do it. My final talking point in what has obviously been a shorter edition of this show, Oregon. Taking a bad loss against Utah Valley earlier this past week. Oregon now at 7-6 and six, needs a miracle in conference play to earn that large bid. A miracle. Such a disappointing campaign for Oregon. The quality opportunities. Loss against Houston. Loss against UConn, loss against Michigan State, loss at UCLA. And then the two home losses against UC Irvine and Utah Valley. Credit needs to be given where it's due, though. UC Irvine and Utah Valley look to be quality mid-major teams. But for Oregon now at 7-6, and six, this is unacceptable. The expectations for Oregon were not this. Excuse me, they're just, they just weren't. And so now we're looking at a Pac-12 with two elite teams in the rest of the field. 
Oregon was supposed to be that third team. They're not. Who that third team is going to end up being? I still think has a good shot to end up being USC. Very well could be Arizona State. What does Utah have to provide in conference play? We'll find that out. I'm still kind of iffy on Utah. It's in a weird Pac-12. Someone's going to stand out. Surely someone's going to stand out and be that third at-large team. That third bit, I should say. Surely. But right now, it's so hard to tell. Oregon was supposed to be part of that picture, and I can tell you right now, they're not. Oregon has so much work to do to get back to being part of that picture. They're simply not in it. What does Oregon have to do? They need to win, win, and win some more. It is simple as that. And if we look at Oregon's resume in the comparison to the net, I was doing 7 and 6. It's not going to end up being good. It just isn't for anybody. And then you consider the fact also that you have the losses, the home losses, home losses against GC Irvine and Utah Valley. Let's pull this up. Oregon, 71st in the net. That will never, ever get the job done. The home losses against UC Irvine and Utah Valley are quad three losses. Probably will end up staying there. If we're just being honest, probably will end up staying there. They lost all three of their quad one opportunities so far this year. They have six left. They have to find a way to win some of those. And of those, you have just two home games against Arizona and UCLA. So what that means for Oregon is to be part of the Pac-12's NCAA tournament picture, try to get that at-large bid for the Pac-12 conference, they got to find a way to win some road games. they got to find a way to win at Colorado and at Utah coming up on the 5th and the 7th of January. Win those two games, in addition to being Oregon State at home, we may have some for Oregon again. But for right now, no. No, it's not there for me. It's not. Most of the quality games this week is going to be closer to the New Year's Day, New Year's Eve holidays, those two days in particular. I like the Satan Hall Marquette matchup coming up on Tuesday, the 27th. That's a good game. I'll probably be traveling a lot uh, back from here in Indiana to Arizona again. So we're missing a lot of games the next couple of days. Uh, Kentucky at Missouri, like I mentioned, big game for Missouri. Alabama and Mississippi State, like I mentioned, big game for the Bulldogs there. You have Boise State and Nevada, which will be a really good contest. And Bradley and Belmont will be a good Mitchell game for you on Wednesday. They look into Thursday. Florida Atlantic and North Texas are going to be an absolutely quality Conference USA matchup. Really looking forward to that game. I think we can learn quite a bit there and a lot of other good major games. San Francisco, Santa Clara, Sam Houston, and Utah Valley also part of that picture. And they should get close to the New Year's Eve holiday Friday. You get that game. With North Carolina and Pittsburgh, you get Miami and Notre Dame, and then New Year's Eve. Fantastic basketball day in addition to the college football playoff semifinals with Texas and Oklahoma, UConn at Xavier, like I mentioned, the Arizona-Arizona State game, good Big 12 matchups, more good Big East matchups, Marquette and Villanova, and then New Year's Day with Maryland at Michigan, Ohio State at Northwestern, Iowa at Penn State, Great week for you uh, in college basketball, uh, even if it really is more of a football holiday. We'll be back on Monday again. We'll have one more Monday edition to 
help you celebrate the New Year's Eve and New Year's Day holidays. We'll be taking the weekend off again. We'll be back on Monday, January 2nd with another edition of the Bonanza. And then after the second, we'll be back to our normal Sunday slate all the way on the road to March, which is very much becoming reality here at the Bonanza. When we get back to the, to the Beelossip Radio Studio in a few weeks' time, that is when the Road to March will become really, really real. We have a lot of good stuff planned for you. A lot of great partnerships with us and our host station, Appalachian Radio. So it's going to be a fun few months and a wild ride on the Road to March. So for the final time in 2022, I've been Nicholas Hodel. Hope you had a very Merry Christmas, and I hope you have a very Happy New Year. We'll talk to you again on the 2nd. Have a very good week, everyone.